I'm Lisa Miller. Welcome to The Women's Well, a place to nourish your health and spirit. Well guests are ordinary, extraordinary women with a story, and in the telling, shine inspiration for us all. Here at The Well, we're all about the wisdom that comes from the deep work of healing and finding the humor in it, which is sometimes right there next to the rough spots. At The Well, conversations make meaning from hardship for a life of conscious balance, empowerment, and of course, joy moving forward. Join us. We'd love to have you. My guests today have been champions of diversity and inclusion in the state of Kentucky for more than a decade already, and they're both just over 30. They are Chaquenta Smith and Kendriana Price, dynamic Black women with clear voices, vision, and obvious dedication. My longtime friend Chaquenta is a diversity recruiter at the University of Kentucky after years as a 4-H agent in the state. And my new friend, Kendriana, also at UK, works in the College of Agriculture, Food and Environment in the roles of Assistant Director of Diversity and as the Inclusion Diversity Program Coordinator. Above all, Quen and Kendriana are dear friends and sisters to one another, companions really, navigating challenging times and cheerleaders celebrating what's good always. Our conversation took place in the fall of 2020. Here's Kendriana speaking first. What do you guys think about what's happening now in the civil rights movement? And did you see this coming? You, like you mentioned, this has always been your normal. Racism and prejudice have always been your normal. So I would say like for 2020 is interesting for me because Black Lives Matter is not new to 2020, right? So it's been around for several years. For me, I think it's important to state that both is a statement. And for me, it's an affirmation saying that I'm here, I'm supposed to be here. This is it. Take me as I am. And then it is a movement. And I think that um, with that, it's folks across America that are going to have to come to terms with America and its history in all of its history, in its truest form, to understand exactly what we feel and what we mean when we say that. So um, when you think about 2020 and all that it's come with, like for me, the word that comes up is trauma. Like I feel like I experienced trauma over and over and over again. It's just like, how much more can I take or can you see to truly understand why we're saying this, why we're asking for the things that we're asking, why we're protesting, why all of these things are going on. Like, what more do you need? And I think that social media has definitely played its part in pushing that all to the mainstream. But it's just, for me, it's kind of mind boggling because it's folks out there that get it and they understand or they want to understand, but then there are folks that don't. And that that's the... Ooh. Here's my here's a that's the way, part where <laughs> and, I, and I I really feel what you're talking about here and I can see how difficult it is to even talk about this. It's such an emotional issue. A year ago, would you have imagined that the whole world would be paying this much attention to Black Lives Matter and the civil rights movement? No, but at the same time, um, it, I mean, it was it was going to happen eventually. 
And so 2020 just happened to be the time for that. And the thing, I guess, social media has a has a way of making things interesting. And I think for me, Black Lives Matter is it's like you said, it's 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 me. It's it's not for me, it's not a movement, it's it's a way of life, it's it's reality. You know, I matter, my kids matter, you know, it doesn't matter what people think or what stereotypes or or whatever it is like we matter and for me i think that's the issue that a lot of times people have on social media because they read things and they assume that the movement is one thing when people are upset not because of the movement they're upset because of the things that are happening to them as black people is one thing black lives matter when people are saying it they're saying it from their perspective and i think that's the thing that i get frustrated with because some people just don't get it and and people are are just it, people are so afraid to talk about race and so so afraid to step on toes when it's all about a simple conversation and it's about having compassion for people and in listening to hear, not listening to talk. And, and trauma is a real thing. I had no idea that there was a such thing as racial trauma. I had no idea. And I didn't realize that I was a victim of it either because after you've been subjected to something so long, it becomes, you, you become numb to it to an extent. Even microaggressions, I never realized that I was, experience it that when you know people say that I speak very well and I was like what exactly does that mean I'm a college educated woman or people asking to touch my hair and their hand is already in my hair before they finish their question and and people getting upset when you voice your opinion or learning about pet to threat theory which I had never heard of and it makes sense to me now, now that I'm studying these things and and I realize like that was actually done to me or it was done to a friend of mine in their professional career. Why are you why are you like that? Calm down. Because now, because you understand who you are, you understand what your strengths are, now you can speak up for yourself and now you're a threat now. It's overwhelming to the point where I have to get off social media. Yeah. I distance myself from people um, because I just, I can't deal with it because some people just, they don't know what it's like to be me yeah. in this world um, at all. <laughs> yeah. I'm so and sorry. What I will add to that is that there is a level of discomfort on all parts that comes with talking about racism in America, but you cannot talk. You cannot not talk about America without talking about racism. And um, I just want to add that my perspective is I lived abroad for several years. And that was my first encountering, you know, it wasn't that I was black, it was that I was American. Like they were more worried that I was an American person in their country, other than my race. But in America, everything is race based. So the avoidance of that conversation it's only going to be a certain amount of time. Like this isn't the first time it's happened. So it's, it comes in cycles. And I feel like it's always a certain amount of time before it bubbles over 
again and we're in the middle of the again yeah because it wasn't just that long ago that we were protesting rights i think it's cyclic and the avoidance of that perpetuates it i i'm as your friends as a white woman i'm i'm so sorry about the traumas you've both had to endure and your friends and family and I'm just, I'm just so heartbroken. I really hear you both wanting and encouraging healthy conversation around race. So I have the feeling that sometimes people just try to do the right thing and just get completely up <laughs> like by putting their hands on you or saying things to you like you've mentioned, oh, you talk so well. So what do you recommend for people in approaching you? How do you want the conversation to begin in order for there to be a healthy boundary and a healthy communication? I would say for me, it definitely depends on the day. Um, So when it comes to having dialogue surrounding race, there are so many resources out there where you can seek out information on your own because Every day, I'm not going to be up to having a conversation. And I have finally reached the point where I will tell you, not today, like I'm not talking about it because it's not just something I can pick up and put down at my leisure. And so um, I would definitely recommend to, to read. There's so much literature out there available to read if you're truly trying to understand And I think a piece of that is getting to know the history of America. So when you dive into its truest history about its conception, you will start to see about how all these ideas that are still rampant in our society today form and exactly how they formed and how the implications that we're still dealing with today. So my first go-to is to do the work on yourself because not every Black person is going to be up to having that conversation with you. And so it truly depends on the day, for me, what you will get. Um, But the other side of that is if I have the capacity to have the conversation, um, you have to be accepting or be willing to accept that my perspective may not fit into what you think it should fit or be what you might think it should be. So if I say something, it's from my perspective and know that that's valid in, in how it comes out. So if it doesn't fit into your frame of what you thought it should be, you have to be okay with that. And so that's the other part of that. And so if you engage in that conversation, especially with me, you may hear something that you don't agree with and that's fine. That's fine. We don't have to agree, but the, uh, the, the um, intent is to come to that, common ground or understanding. So even if it's something that I don't agree with, it's finding that common ground to understand a perspective that's different from your own. But my first go-to at all time is do the work on yourself. And I will say, even as a Black woman, I would say 2020 has kind of pushed me uh, to dig into my history as a Black person in America. And it's been truly transformative because it's a lot of things that were, I would say, kept from me. They weren't taught in school. Um, 
it seems that you just, if you don't seek it out yourself, you're never going to know. So do the work yourself, but be open to not having the conversation if somebody doesn't have the capacity to and finding that common ground and being okay with that disagreement if it comes to that. So the first question, the first step might be for someone to say, is this a good time for a conversation on race? Maybe that's a good way to approach. I have questions. Is this a good time about a conversation on race? And if the answer is yes, good. And and if the answer is no, that should also be fine. And I say it differs depending on the person. So I could say that, like, for me, that's perfect, but I can't speak for everybody. (laughs) Yes. And I'll go even further um, on that is when you are doing the work and doing the research, make sure that you are very intentional about what you're reading. Make sure it's, it's coming from the actual community itself, because there's a lot of research out there and there's a lot of books doing your part, doing your research and, and doing that before you start a conversation with people, because for some people that could be traumatic within itself. Um, and especially when you feel like you're being asked to be the spokesperson for every, every black person. Um, Cause I, that is always my disclaimer. I, I cannot speak for everybody black. I can't, you know, and my perspective mm-hmm. and the things that I've experienced is very different from the next person. And so I would say if somebody were to come to me, of course, I would probably have to say probably not today. And and I've actually gotten better with that because I used to just sit through a conversation. And when it was over, I would be emotionally spent. But I had to start being more mindful of what's happening to my body. You know, is my what's my heart rate doing? Um, because a lot of times I just didn't. I would suppress it, my feelings, and I would talk about it and I would ask, you know, answer the questions, but I didn't really realize what it was doing to me. Um, and so just being mindful of those those things. But again, Kendra raises another good point of being open to whatever's being said, because my perspective may not be the same as yours. And that's okay for us to agree to disagree. Um, But the one question that always weighs down on me is when a person asks me, what can I do to be a better advocate or ally? And a lot of times that question wears down on me because I don't really know. It's exhausting. It's it's exhausting. Yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I, I, I don't know. And you don't have emotional bandwidth or maybe even interest to have to know where they are. And then where they want to go, that's, you know, not your job in life. That's a stressful question. It it is a very stressful question. (laughs) And I think that it can re-traumatize people. I think, you you know, to be reminded, it just reminds you of the gulf that exists between you already. What is your hope and dream now? And do you dare to be excited and hopeful about how the compost of 2020 is leading to something better in the next 10 years. Where are you on that? I I know I do. (laughs) I try. I'm I'm trying to work on my (laughs) optimism. I'm trying. I mean, every day I was like, okay, it's going to get better. It's got to get better. After this year, 
it, it has to. It has to. <laughs> Am I? I think I truly get inspired by the young people that I work with because they'll say, here's something that I see as a problem and here's what I would like to do about it. Can you help me? And so I've really started to see that at large across Generation Z. I think that's what we're in (laughs) with the young people now. They're really like taking that next step and willing to take that stand and the action and they're ready to do the work, even at their young age right now. So it really has me inspired about what's to come. Um, I'm probably more worried about the adult <laughs> coming to terms with all yes. of this. Than, but the, the younger generation really inspires me that um, when I am old and they are running the country, that it will look a little bit differently than it does today. I would agree. Um, having conversations with just my kids, you know, I have a a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old and having conversations with them, it's just like, okay, you know, it gives me hope, right? Is that you you get it and you see something much bigger than anything I could have imagined. And so, you know, the hope that they have that things will look the way that they want it to look one day but again I always go back to anything has to be better than what it is right now and the fact that people are willing to have these conversations and be open is comforting I've sat in on different meetings in the last couple of months and just hearing people and their openness and they're willing to just be completely transparent about what their shortcomings are in terms of what they've tried to do in race relations and talking about racism and being more of not necessarily an ally or advocate but more of of an accomplice where they're coming to the events and they're like okay what do what do you need me to do you know how can I help and not coming and just completely taking over I think that is the piece that's been missing I've seen enough now over time to recognize that some people truly want to learn and grow. So it seems like, and here's my pastoral long view, that chaos always precedes transformation. So I cannot help but be hopeful and excited about what's coming. That all the pain that has been experienced, suffered, and has been a contagion in some ways in 2020 has also been the very thing that will take us to the next level of change. You're talking about your hope that it's the young people that keep you going. I feel really strongly too that they can be the motivators. Even you guys, you're both at least two decades younger than I am. Part of the reason I'm so excited to talk to you, I've been excited to talk to you in all all the conversations we've had leading up to this, is because you are the shiny light holders for what's coming next. You make me feel better about the generations that are going to eventually be in my position. And hopefully by the time you get to your 50s, you'll be able to look back and see how much has changed in the positive way. I wanted to add the 
the um, comment that when it comes to dialogue, so this was something that Clint said, it just like logged my mind, that dialogue is the first step to change, right? So having the conversation is only the first stop on that road. And then after that comes action. Um, but what I would want to say and just be very transparent about when it comes to um, white people and the ally, advocate, accomplice conversation, acknowledging your privilege that you have in our society and be willing to take a risk to take the action comes with that. So that is a deeper conversation, but I, I just feel remiss without saying that out loud, that it starts with the dialogue and um, taking that action is not for everybody, but that's only the first stop to that and, process. And to add to that, as they say, the getting dirty part, it's not for everybody. Some people are, they would rather stand on the sidelines and cheer it on and, and that's great. Um, because that, that's a whole nother conversation of, of the privilege and using that to help move things along. And I commend those that understand that they have it, use it to help. I just wish that more people understood that they have it. But that, again, that's a whole nother conversation because that term within itself, <laughs> and and they get so upset about it and it's, it's just, it's something as small and as minute as being able to walk in a grocery store and not be followed just because of the color of your skin or your name can keep you from renting an apartment just because of your name. Yeah, Those are small things that when we have that conversation about privilege, people don't even think about that. So, you know, um, between the civil rights movement and now there has been some changes moving forward and a lot of unrest. It's possible that we might not see inclusion and diversity the way we're hoping, the way we're talking about for decades to come. In the meantime, while those who want to dialogue and those who want to then take action, those who want to take the risk of action, as you, as you say, what else can we turn to as we wrap up here today that gives us hope? So um, I kind of alluded to this before, but the journey truly starts within. So no matter whether you're a Black person coming into touch with your histories and learning about that, no matter whether you're a white person and acknowledging the racist history that America has and it, its implications today is become doing that self-awareness piece to figure out where you are. And then um, an easy part is having those conversations with your friends and family. And so that's always a place where folks can um, start. And I'm not even going to say it's the easiest place because many times it is not. Yeah. And I don't want anybody to think that with this it's easy <laughs> to just go out and do anywhere, but it's a starting place um, for you to at least get your foot kind of wet, get started. If you um, are uncomfortable doing it in a professional setting, um, I always recommend to have that, your sister circle, your tribe, your whatever that is for you, great place to start um, with those. 
um, because it's a safe space. I would say whatever that safe space is for you, um, where you can talk openly and transparently, that's where I would start. So that looks differently for different folks. For me, it's my sister circle. (laughs) Yes, good. And I would even, because I've been reading your book, I would even go into saying that it's okay to create those sacred spaces for yourself and for other people as being a service leader and and wanting to like help people like it's okay to create those spaces and let people know like it's okay for you to say how you feel in a judgment-free space and as long as you're not saying it to be malicious and we're you know we're working through that the other thing I would I would also say is is just staying in tune with self-care through all of this is important because it can take a toll on you, whether you realize it or not. And so just being in tune with who you are and who you belong and making sure to connect with yourself, even if you go through a traumatic conversation with someone that is wearing down on you to take a moment to just relax and breathe and meditate and center yourself again. Agreed. And I, and I, you know, really so applaud that you both know exactly what to do and where to go for that support. You know, I always advocate for any environment, any resource that you can truly be a soft place to rest. I'm a big fan of therapies, mentors, a big fan of friendships, of family relationships, if they're healthy, wherever is the healthy place, faith community, wherever that is for people, that there's already a shared understanding of what's needed. We all agree. Yes. And I would say in those spaces needs to be shared accountability as well. So yes. Not <laughs> agree. Amen. Yes. yes. Thank you. Like, what a perfect way to end. What a perfect final note. This is so enriching and so inspiring and makes me excited about the kind of conversations that we can have that help each other as women and help others who are listening and watching our recording. You've been listening to The Women's Well, audio and music by Gabe Robitaille. To hear more interviews and empowering stories, subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts wherever you like to find your podcasts. Pretty please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to read it and it will keep us going. Want to see the fabulous women you've been listening to? Check out our YouTube clips on my website, lisamillerbeautifulday.com and follow me on Instagram, lisamillerbeautifulday. Thank you for being with us at The Well. Join us again next week with another inspiring, ordinary, extraordinary guest.